right, the dogs are settling. <laughs> That's always great. We made sure to take them out really quick right before we got here. So that way they are nice and tired before this. Let's get into it here, guys. It is a Tuesday at 9.30. Happy to have you guys all in here today. My name is Nathan. Welcome to the Healthy Humans Podcast. This is episode number 2-0, episode 20. Very happy to have you guys here today. We're going to be discussing benchmark workouts. Before we get into this episode, I do just want to thank everyone who listens in. As the show continues to grow, I expect to get a little bit more advertising done on the show, which is going to be a huge help because that's going to help just kind of support everything we've got going on here. I would say the best way for you guys to support the show is to listen and share with a friend. So make sure you guys are doing that. We also have a Patreon as well. So if you guys want the ad-free version of this podcast, you guys can get that where $5 a month supports the podcast directly and gets you free access to all my additional content and gives you full access to my entire health and wellness library. I try to throw up as many workouts up onto Patreon as I can. And as people ask questions and things like that, you guys are more than welcome in my Patreon community to basically just ask as many questions as you want. We're hoping to do a lot with that page this year. So that way you guys get as much as possible out of your workouts. So that's going to be kind of my quick plug there. So big thanks to you guys. We have gotten a few extra patrons, so we do have a little bit coming in. So just thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. That is super helpful. Let's get right into today's agenda. So we're going to be talking about benchmark workouts here, guys. We're going to split that up into different sections. So if you aren't familiar with the term, a benchmark workout is basically a workout that you will complete or at least attempt. That's a, a good uh, caveat to that as well that will give you a certain measure of functional progress, right? So you want to know exactly how well you are doing when you are doing all these workouts. It's a great way to measure everything going forward, and it's gonna give you a good idea of what progress you're making. The reason we do these benchmark workouts is because it's gonna give us that functional measure of everything that's going on. So if you wanna become better at running, track your development with muscular strength, benchmark workouts are the way to go. One thing I will say is that you don't necessarily want to do these like every week. It's better to do these every several months, uh, anywhere from two to three months separating. So that way you actually have the time to work and see that progression go along. Today, we do have a bit to cover. So let's outline everything we're going to go over and then dive right into it here today. Also, if you guys see the question of the day is how do you measure your fitness? So that's very applicable to what we're going over. So Nightbot is going to be throwing that in there just a few times in the chat. So if you guys see that, um, feel free to comment in the chat. Let me know how do you measure your fitness? Is weight your main goal? We'll talk about that a little bit later. Or is it like you have certain events that you're going to be um, training for? A lot of clients that I work with have kind of like emotional goals around health and fitness as well. Like they want to feel better. They want to um, fit in clothing and things like that. So it goes a lot deeper than just like what number uh, that pops up on the scale. But we will touch on that just a little bit more. First, we're going to be covering our endurance workouts or excuse me, endurance benchmarks. Then we're going to be covering strength, then power. Then we're actually going to be talking about the psychological benefits. So that's going to tie in very closely to our question of the day. And then we'll go into a question and answer time. So if you guys do have any questions that you guys throw into the chat, we will let you guys know. Uh, you guys, we got our question of the day this week from Twitter. So if you guys do have Twitter, you guys can follow me at FinleyTheDog736. The reason is, is because that is where I do a lot of my kind of advertising and marketing and things like that. So that way you can kind of see everything that's going on there. So 
follow me on Twitter. That'd be super helpful, guys. Um, we love getting those questions, DMs, tweets, all those fun stuff, because that way we can answer it directly on show. So let's get into it here, guys. We're going to be going over quite a bit here today. First one, we're going to be talking about endurance benchmarks. We've got a lot of different things that you can measure endurance with. And we're just going to go over these just kind of like line by line and give you lots of stuff to work with. First one's going to be running. Not everybody runs. And so that's why we have running, walking, cycling, rowing, swimming, and like kind of event training as well. So lots of different important things. So if you're a runner, really the most common benchmark I'll usually uh, mark down for somebody is the one mile run. It's a short enough distance where you can really, really push yourself, but long enough where it's not just done in like a minute or two. You, I think the best mile time I've ever seen somebody run is a five minute mile. And I know people have run faster than that as well. So you get these huge ranges of what you can accomplish. And then as you do this more and more every two to three months, you can really see that improve. So for running, I usually say the one mile run is a really, really good benchmark to do. And it's really simple. You can do this on a treadmill. You can do this out on a track. You can do this out on the street. So if you have a measured distance, you can basically like do this with a stopwatch. This is probably one of the easier ones to just start and stop by yourself, um, especially if you're doing this on a treadmill because the time is gonna be right in front of you with the distance as well. Or you can set the treadmill to do a countdown so it'll stop that timer once you finish that one mile. So there's a lot of different ways that you can measure that. Now, if you are not a runner, which a lot of people are running for some people can be kind of overrated. Uh, it's definitely this thing that people think they're like, Oh, I need to be able to run. Running puts a lot of stress on the joints. So if you're somebody who's like, Hey, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Take up walking. You know, uh, you can do the same one mile test or even like a half mile test and you can stay into a walking pace. You can start adding inclines onto that as well. So if you want to use a treadmill, for example, and you want to say, hey, I want to do a half mile, but I want to see how fast I can do it. That's my first criteria. And you want to add an extra layer and see kind of what incline you can do that on as well and see if you can maintain that. Then that's a great way to test your fitness as well. So uh, I would say walking is very underrated. It's much better for your joints. It can still get that heart rate up quite a bit. And it's going to leave you hopefully with a little bit less impact in the ankles, the knees, the hips. And so I think it's a really good option as well. And then we get into cycling. Not everyone has access to a bike or trail or like a cycling track, right? So a lot of times I see this done in the gyms. The gym I work at has a ton of different types of cycling machines. And so this can be really, you can, you can stretch this out as much as you want. Using this mode, you can actually... I mean, really, you can you can test power and you can test endurance. It just depends on your distance, right? If you're doing a 20-mile ride and you want to see how fast you're, you can do that, that's more of an endurance benchmark. If you want to do a one-mile ride or maybe something that's just a couple hundred meters and you want to see how fast you can do that on a bike, then that's more of a power benchmark, right? If it's a really short benchmark, it's power. If it's a lot longer, it usually falls under that endurance category. That's just a really simple way of looking at it. And then the same thing like when we talk about walking, you can add that to cycling as well. You can kind of adjust, you know, what RPMs do you want to be cycling at? How much resistance do you want to be cycling at? Uh, if you have a wattage meter on your bike or on your display, what kind of wattage are you looking to maintain? So there's a lot of different ways to adjust that, make it a little bit better and see progress moving forward. So there's lots of different ways to do that. Now, rowing is a fun one. A lot of gyms will have rowing machines. And I actually go over with my clients quite a bit, really, really in detail, 
proper rowing form because a lot of people just sit on there and they just go back and forth and they kind of just look like a slinky while they're doing it. And that's always a bummer, right? I, it, the rower is such a powerful machine if done right. It's really, really low impact. Basically, it's like if you don't have a swimming pool and you're an athlete or an exercising athlete that needs a low impact exercise, but high metabolic exercise, rower is the way to go. It's going to be basically the next best thing to swimming, right? Swimming, you're in water, you're suspended. There's basically zero impact on those joints. It's all muscle fatigue. Rowing, very, very similar. You're going to see a little bit of impact, but not nearly as much, like a fraction of what you're going to see when either if you're walking or you're running. So this is a really, really good one. And it can be done well if rowing properly. Now, there's a lot of different distances you can do that will basically challenge all three of our different kind of main training points. So as we outlined in our agenda, uh, endurance, strength, and power are kind of the three big ones. If you want to do an endurance row, basically, I would say anything that's above a thousand meters is going to be an endurance row. Oftentimes, I will do a 2000 meter row with my clients, and that's going to be a good place to start. If you're below a thousand, I would say between 300 and a thousand, it's more of a strength row because you're focusing on a much shorter time frame, but you really need that like you really need that strength from that leg drive to be in every single stroke. So that's kind of more of like the strength category. And then there's your power rows, your 100s, your 200s, and your 300 meters. These are the rows that you are probably going to complete. If you're going all out, you're probably going to complete these in less than a minute, minute and a half in some individuals as well. So you're going to, you're basically treating them like a sprint. And we'll go over a little bit more on that as well. But it's, really, really good. So even though we're talking about endurance benchmarks right now, there's really ways where you can use these different modes of exercise to train really whatever factor or whatever portion of fitness you want to. And I want you guys to know that you guys have that ability. Next one, swimming. This is a really, really common one. A lot of the times if you're, um, I'm not much of a swimmer myself, I just don't care for it too much, but it is super low impact. I really highly encourage my clients, especially my clients who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, if they're like, hey, I want to get extra workouts in throughout the week when we're not working together, but they don't want to do anything that's too strenuous. So that way they're sore for our next training session. I usually recommend like, hey, get in the pool, do some laps, do some different exercises, do like a water aerobics class, things like that. Just like get moving, get after it. And with swimming, it's really the same thing as rowing. You can set up different benchmarks for yourself based on how long you want to be swimming. So you can set a time benchmark and say, Hey, I'm going to swim for, uh, let's say 20 minutes. And I want to try to get as many, many laps as possible in 20 minutes, right? That's a great endurance and benchmark. And the nice thing is you can kind of make these up really based on your own goals. So if you're like, Oh, I have an event coming up, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Maybe it's a triathlon where you have to run bike and swim all at the same time. And you're like, hey, my biking and my running are like dialed in, but I'm not that good of a swimmer. Take that distance from your triathlon and maybe break it up into a smaller portion and use that as your benchmark, right? So uh, however, I, I don't know much about triathlons myself because that's not something I would probably ever do, but you can use that distance as a really, really good kind of barometer for how well you're improving, right? So if your time is improving on that set distance, then you are going to know like, Hey, I'm actually getting better at this. My training is working. And if it's not, you can say, okay, what do I need to change? What do I need to edit? Things like that. And there's just a lot of different things that you can do when we get into events. This is really the big one. So a lot of times 
you'll see athletes quite often training for marathons and 5Ks and Ironmans and things like that. But for the general population who doesn't enjoy those events, which is quite a few of us, there's a very small portion of the population who actually does these events. For the rest of us, benchmark workouts are the way to go. It's a way to test yourself without necessarily putting yourself on stage, right? And that can be a really intimidating event, or maybe you're just like, hey, I have no, maybe you just have no desire to ever run a marathon. That's me for sure. Um, like set yourself up for smaller running goals. If that's what, you, what you're planning on. If you want to, we have uh, it literally um, like in our backyard is Mount Rainier. So we're over here in Washington. Maybe you're planning on summiting Mount Rainier. Um, you know, spend more time hiking, set yourself different trails that you can do. You know, you can be really, really creative with these endurance benchmarks, and that's going to be really, really helpful. Next thing we're going to be talking about here, guys, is strength training, strength benchmarks in particular. So if you guys did listen to our episode on strength training, which I highly recommend to do, please go do that now, is the big one is going to be the one repetition maximum. We'll usually abbreviate this 1RM. So if you're not familiar with the lingo and the abbreviations, 1RM is one rep maximum. This is the total or the largest amount of weight you can successfully do one rep at. Now, biggest thing here is that this is sometimes very, very hard to get an accurate read on. And I'll tell you guys why. The reason is, is so for example, if we're using squats as an example, you get it under that bar and let's say you put 225 pounds up on the bar. Fantastic. You squat down, you squat up. Fantastic. There's your rep. You walk forward, you rack it. Good to go. And you say, oh, I could have done more weight. So then we're going to load on some more plates. You're going to put a little bit of weight on each side. Maybe you felt that your rate of perceived exertion was maybe like a seven out of 10, right? And if this is a maximum, you want to feel like 10 out of 10, like you could, you did one rep, you could only do one rep. And now you're going to add a little bit more weight on. So Say add 10 pounds each side, right? Now you're on 245 pounds. You get back under maybe after a little bit of a rest time and you get under that bar, you squat it all the way down, all the way back up. Now you might feel like, okay, I'm at like maybe an eight, maybe a nine out of 10 on that rating rate of perceived exertion, right? So if you're kind of using that subjective scale, you're like, okay, I could have done just a little bit more. Now you getting set for your third round, right? Say you're like, okay, I can, I can sneak out a little bit more weight. You had five pounds on each side. So you're doing 255 at this point. Before you even get to that third rep, you have accumulated fatigue. And the nice thing is, is that it's low. So because you've only done two reps so far, minus any warmups that you definitely should have done. And you're going to see a little bit of a drop in performance. And so this is why doing this every kind of several months or so is going to be good. Because if you start all the way back at like 135, and I'll use 135 as, as an example, because that's the bar with two 45 pound plates on both sides. And then you just work your way up constantly by 10 pound increments. First of all, it's going to take you a long time to get to that actual one rep maximum. And because you're starting so far away from where you might want to finish, then you're going to develop a lot of fatigue along the way. So a good tip for this is like, be smart in your predictions use numbers that you have squatted successfully in the past before and then move up from there so if you're normally you know training for those one rep maxes you're usually doing sets of maybe like four five or six in the weeks leading up to that and so take those numbers that you're already using and then kind of extrapolate a little bit more from that so if you're able to do five reps at 255 
or 245, 255, whatever it is, say, add on like an extra 10, 15, 20 pounds, and then hit that one rep, right? Because you want to bump that weight up just a little bit, and but not too much to exceed what you could have done before. Now, because this is kind of a process, there's a little bit of trial and error that is involved in this. It can take a little bit. And I usually will say to people, one rep maximums, I don't necessarily, like when I'm working with my clients, I don't necessarily run them through a true one rep maximum. I'm actually going to use what's called a predicted one rep maximum. And the reason is this is just a lot safer to go through. And we'll use uh, a calculator essentially to say, hey, we're going to choose a weight that you know you can do, or maybe you've done before. And we're going to try to get a certain number of reps out with that. So with a caveat on this, you can use these prediction tables. A lot of different um, textbooks will have these 1RM prediction tables in them. And so you can basically go over to the side, see how much weight you did, draw a line down to how many reps you did, and they'll give you a predicted maximum. That's fantastic. I find that it's not going to um, be a, a super accurate, especially if you're able to say you're, you're loading 225 pounds up on the bar and you crank out like 20 reps that's going to leave a little bit less accuracy in what your actual one rep max is because you were able to get so many reps. So you still want to challenge yourself. And I really try to keep it to between. And the nice thing is if you're doing a predicted one rep maximum, if you do one rep, that's your, that's your one rep max. Right. Um, but I usually try to keep it between like two and maybe up to like six or seven reps. I try to keep it kind of in those lower ranges. So that way I know that they're really taxing themselves out in those first few reps. And so that way we're staying within that strength range. If you guys remember, we had that big rep range table that we've used in the last four episodes. Yeah. Four episodes. And I like to stay within that area where strength is maximized and that's usually between two and six reps. So that's usually why I make that, uh, that recommendation for the number of reps. So if you guys have any questions on that, let me know. There's also a set rep maximum you can use as well. So this could be a five rep set maximum or a 10 rep set maximum. And this means this is the largest amount of weight you were able to get at five reps, 10 reps, whatever it might be. This is basically the opposite of a one rep max, but still it's measuring strength, right? Whereas a one rep max is one rep, one time as heavy as you can go safely. And then the set rep maximum is, it, it still involves a little bit of trial and error. And a lot of times people will use, um, they'll use like a 10 rep maximum, which again, that gets a little bit outside of the strength category. So I prefer a five rep maximum and it's choosing a challenging weight that you can do five times. And this I think works pretty well because a lot of the times if you're already training for strength, you're already accustomed to doing that, those sets of four five and six reps. So you're going to have a good idea on whether or not a weight is challenging for you already before you even get under that bar. So I think that can be really good. Problem there is that it takes a little bit of experience. If you're somebody who hasn't done anything and you're just like, all right, I'm going to put a couple hundred pounds on a bar and I'm going to try to do squats and you've never done that before, it might not go super well. So some examples that you guys can do for strength benchmarks. I mean, it's really up to your imagination. I'll throw in a few caveats to this just for some moves that might be more dangerous than others. And we'll do a little bit of a safety brief as well, because that's going to be super important. But examples for this that you'll usually see is like squat, bench, and deadlift. Those are like the big ones. I like to do hinge rows as well, 
just because a hinge row is a really, really big pulling movement. And a lot of times if we're doing um, like pull-ups, for example, that almost will, if it's, if you can only complete like one to four pull-ups, then it's like a strength test. But a lot of times people who are well-practiced at pull-ups can get a lot more. So it's more of, it kind of goes, shifts into that endurance category. So I like to use the hinge row instead. Um, it's pretty tough, but you can also do different things like lat pull-down or a seated row where you're really just isolating the back and the major pullers. And then you can get some good results out of that as well. Next thing we're going to go over guys is our safety brief. And the reason is, is because people do dumb things in the gym. So we just want to give you just a quick disclaimer. So you guys know how to proceed as well as possible moving forward. So first one is if you were doing a strength benchmark, I highly recommend having spotters and safety bars. The reason is, is because if you are loading up the body in a, with a really, really heavy weight, again, this should feel like 10 out of 10, like hardness, you need a way to bail out safely, right? So if you, for example, most squat racks will have safety bars in them, do a practice rep where at the bottom of your range of motion that you are shooting for, put the safety bars just right below that. So that way, if you need to, if you need to bail out, you only need to go a few inches lower than you normally would, then the safety bars are going to catch that weight for you. So that way you can uh, bail out safely and you don't have to worry about like rolling that weight backwards or forwards because you, you might've seen those like bail videos on Instagram or whatever. And people do some pretty nasty bailouts, right? So using safety bars is really important. Now, safety bars, if you don't want to use those, I highly recommend using spotters. A lot of times for really heavy squatters, you'll actually have three different spotters. So you have one person in the back, they're gonna basically help out with trunk stability and then two on the side. So if they need to, they can literally get underneath that bar and guide it to where it needs to go. Now, a lot of the times, I, again, I prefer safety bars because you don't necessarily want to put all that weight on the spotter. So if somebody's squatting 500 pounds, I don't necessarily want to leave it up to the spotters to catch that, lift it and bring it back up. I'd rather bring it back down to the safety rails or the safety bars, excuse me, and then unload the bar and then get it back up into that set position. That's just a preference that I have. And that's going to be um, a good recommendation for me. Next thing is don't sacrifice form. A lot of the times when people are doing strength benchmarks, they will throw form out the window because they just want to go from point A to point B back up to point A. And that's all they want. They don't care what their, their knees look like. They don't care what their back looks like. And it hurts to watch every time. Please don't do it. Make sure that as you're going through you, I, I will tell my clients if we are doing a strength benchmark, especially if it is like a predicted one rep max, I will tell them I will be counting your reps out loud. I'll give them some criteria that we'll work with. So I will count those reps out loud and I will tell you that was not low enough. Like for a squat, for example, that wasn't low enough. That rep does not count or the knee came too far in on that one, or you're leaning over to the side. You know, I will tell them like, and I will say like, Hey, that did not have good form. That rep doesn't count. And that can be really, really frustrating at times, but that also is a good motivator to have good form because you don't want to go down and then up, use all that energy with bad form. And then for your trainer to say, sorry, but it didn't count. I know I, I, I'm a lot nicer than that, but, <laughs> but we want to make sure that, you know, the, the safety is the biggest concern, right? And that's where it comes down to. You guys always need to be safe. And that's what we're working with. I usually tell my clients, uh, you've probably heard of the phrase work smarter, not harder. Um, I like to tell my clients, you need to work as smart as possible and as hard as possible, right? You want that max effort to be there, but like, I need your brain involved too. I don't want you just like turning off that brain and just being like, all right, 
caveman lift, go up and down. I need you to be in the game the whole time, maximum focus, maximum effort, because that's truly where you're going to see the best results. Um, a lot of the times having a coach or a friend um, around is going to be super helpful for this. So again, for spotters and a coach is going to really, really help with that form because ideally they will have been kind of going along with you on this journey as well. Next one, we're going to get into talking point number three. We're going to be talking about power benchmarks. So there's a few different power benchmarks that I want to go over really quick here, guys. The first one is power benchmarks with resistance. The second one is power benchmarks without resistance. So this is going to be really, really important. So for example, there are different exercises. So a squat, not necessarily a power movement, especially if we're loading all the way into that strength category. You can modify these movements to be power benchmarks. I personally prefer keeping them kind of in their separate buckets, right? So a really common power movement with resistance is like that power clean and the clean and jerk. These are like Olympic movements you'll see. I'm a huge fan of the power clean, not a huge fan of the clean and jerk myself because I don't necessarily tolerate the overhead movement with the shoulders super well with that much weight. So I like to keep it just to the power clean, just up to the shoulders and then back down. But these are super explosive movements. This is combining strength with velocity. And if you guys want a little bit more info on power training, I highly recommend taking a look at our power training episode. We did an episode on endurance, strength, and power. So make sure you guys look up those as well. Those will be on YouTube. And if I remember correctly, I will put cards in for those as well. So you guys can have good marks for those. So add those to your watch list, your queue, and everything is just going to get more detailed as we go through. Power clean is a really fun one. Um, this one, I will say the big caveat here is when you're working smart and working hard, um, do this on a platform that can handle you bailing out really quickly. The power clean is actually a fairly easy move to bail out from as long as you're setting yourself up correctly. If the platform you're working with is too small or the area you're working with is too crowded, that's a big no-no. Give yourself plenty of room because when that bar is coming up, you want to be able to bring those hands underneath, drive those elbows up to the sky. And then if you need to bail out, you can bail out that bar forward and then take that step back as you're going through. Um, it's, it's easier than people think, especially when your body needs to unload something very, very quickly. Pushing that weight out in front is going to be good. Um, a lot of the times you'll see people who will do this way too much. They haven't trained properly and they'll get that bar. They'll get all the way underneath it and they'll get stuck in a squat and then they don't know what to do with it. So make sure you have uh, friends around. A coach is really, really good and Sometimes just practicing that bailout is actually a really, really good thing. So if you are in a facility that allows you to do power cleans, I highly recommend going through and actually practicing a few bailouts with really, really lightweight. So that way you have that form down first and that can make you just, that can just keep you a lot safer. So that can be really important. The next set of power benchmarks we'll talk about is power exercises without resistance. This is like sprints and agility tasks, right? So we can do these. So when we are talking through, we'll kind of cycle back here a little bit, little bit, excuse me. When we were cycling through, I say cycling, um, and we were talking over endurance benchmarks, you can basically shorten any endurance benchmarks to the point where it's now a power benchmark. You're trying to get a set distance done as fast as possible, but it's a short enough distance where hopefully your amount of work is being kept to ideally under 60 seconds. 
even shorter potentially, especially if you're doing like a sprint. A really, really common sprint uh, is like a 40 yard dash. We see that a lot in like the NFL combine, for example, and these are taking just a couple of seconds. I will say my 40 yard dash, never been that good and that's okay. But if you don't have uh, a 40 yard dash, that's all right. Um, you can do like the 100 meter sprint is a good one as well. There's lots of different ways to test this. Now, again, if you're not a runner, uh, the best way to test this out is probably going to be either swimming, rowing, or cycling. Something that you are actually going to be able to get your velocity up, actually get some speed going, and then test from there and have a little bit less impact. So if we're doing cycling, anything between like really, really small, like fractions of a mile, you're going to go through really, really quick. You're going to focus on that really high wattage, high RPMs, and it's something that you should only be able to sustain for 30 to like 60 seconds. And now on the flip side of that, if you're doing, if your initial target was distance and you want to do it in a certain amount of time, you can also do time for a certain amount of distance, right? So you can flip these around. You can customize it as much as you want. So if you're originally doing like, okay, I want to do one mile as fast as I can. And that takes you, um, let's say three and a half minutes. You can train for that, or you can switch it up and say, okay, I'm not going to be able to ever do a mile in under, you know, three minutes, for example, but you could do a two minute ride benchmark where you're trying to go as fast as you can. And now that's pretty tough. That's kind of pushing it to the edge of that kind of like power range because you're going to run out of uh, your quick energy system, which is your creatine phosphate um, that actually only lasts for anywhere for like, I if I remember correctly, man, it's been a while since I've been out of the lab here, guys. It's like six to eight seconds, depending on the individual. So that uh, is going to go by really quickly. And then you're mainly focusing on that anaerobic respiration, or I should say that anaerobic uh, energy system. Anaerobic energy system is what's going to get you all the way through those sprints. It's the energy system that builds up that lactic acid, and you get a lot of, a lot of muscle fatigue from this really, really quickly. So that's why we usually keep it to shorter distances and shorter times. Uh, another example that I put out, if you don't want to do cycling, rowing is something that we talked about a little bit earlier as well. So like that 100, 200 and 300 meter row, really, really good power exercises because you're going to be trying to get that wattage as high as you can. I usually recommend for especially stroke rate, if you have a rower in the gym, it'll usually tell you like your wattage, your split time, your distance, your stroke rate. It, a lot of them will give so many different measures. Some of them are useful. Some of them are not. Um, but keeping that stroke rate, especially in a power setting, you want to keep that probably between like 26 and like 32. 32 is a little bit higher than I would normally recommend, especially for like an endurance row. Whereas if you're doing an endurance row, I would actually try to keep that between like 22 and 30. So kind of like a little bit lower and not try to go up too high above 30 is because you'll actually run out of energy too quick. And so having more efficient strokes is a little bit more important, but with sprinting, you still want those efficient strokes. So you only want that uh, stroke rate to go up just a little bit higher. Um, if you're like all the way up into 40, you're probably sacrificing a decent amount of form to actually achieve that stroke rate. And if you were to drive harder with the legs, have a better return, you'd probably get better results out of your row. So just a little, um, just a little caveat with that as well. There's also different like agility tests we can take guys to focus on movements that will measure power without resistance. So a lot of the times doing different like sprinting tasks is like the normal one, but like agility work is, has a lot to focus on changing directions. So when I was a, uh, a football player, we used to do an eye test. So basically you would start in the middle, 
you would run over to one side and it was very very short i think these were only separated by like four or five yards maybe it's been a while since i've done this i've done this so i don't remember quite well but you start in the middle you run all the way over you change direction you run past the middle over and then you run back through the center and when you cross it that uh additional time so center over to the right you're crossing the line once and then twice that second crossing is when ideally your coach your friend whoever is um stopping that timer and so again it goes by really really quick but it's and it's measuring your ability to change directions really really quick and this is really really important for athletes especially but those who exercise are exercising athletes right you're not just because you don't compete in a sport doesn't mean you should count yourself out and you shouldn't like care about your performance and especially uh especially direction change that is super important for people to do and that skill actually is super important in not necessarily to the same speed but it's super important in uh older individuals as well because if you're able to like be light on your feet and change directions quickly it's actually really easy to recover from trips and falls and things like that because you're used to moving your feet or like having abrupt uh movement changes and direction changes you're going to be used to that and so that can be really really beneficial and of course make sure you in all of these if you are doing a power benchmark you need to have a coach or a friend there for accurate timing so if you're doing a 40 yard dash you need to have somebody there with a the stopwatch timing you and ideally you'll probably do this two or three times with lots of rest in between so that way you can kind of get the best of a few different tests right so really really important the nice thing about using uh equipment like treadmills or rowers is a lot of times you can set these on countdowns so if you set a 100 meter countdown it'll start at 100 and work its way down when you hit zero it will it will stop that timer when you go from 100 to zero it'll stop that timer when you get to zero and you'll get a very very accurate time it's actually super nice i love doing those on the rowers is because i don't need anybody else to time me because the machine is timing me itself so that can be something that's a really good tip uh, for you guys who need them next what we're going to talk about here guys we've talked about already so we'll just summarize what we covered already endurance benchmarks those are the long ones strength benchmarks those are like more uh benchmarks based on resistance and then we talked about power which they can be done with or without resistance as well next we're going to get into the psychological benefit of benchmark workouts like why benchmark workouts can be helpful to goal setting instead of just weight happy new year everybody the gyms are full so i get flooded with questions about weight loss anytime i have a free moment in the gym people approach me with questions which is awesome but 99 times out of 100 it's a weight loss question because people we are we are conditioned as humans to see weight loss as the ultimate objective and these benchmark workouts are going to change that a little bit by focusing on something that isn't weight it gives us a better full picture perspective of health weight is often just a byproduct of how we live our lives so i'm going to go through just a quick thing here guys for most of the pep population excuse me for most of the population a much smaller amount than we realize calories in versus calories out can be effective strategy to lose weight so if you're eating less than you're burning um, you're going to have a net loss in calories every day and it's going to be weight loss you're gonna you're gonna the result is weight loss at that point however it would be ignorant of me to suggest that this strategy is for everyone yes it will get you to lose weight and it might get the ball rolling but often weight loss is a multi-factorial problem 
So focusing less on weight will usually lead. So not only using benchmark workouts here, guys, that's the key. Using benchmark workouts will help you focus less on weight, which will also usually lead to better adherence strategies because we're approaching the problem from a different perspective. We're approaching from more of a uh, performance perspective and just trying to make yourself better. Don't, don't compare to other people, especially if you're just a uh, casual exerciser and you're just, you know, whoever, and you're not performing for a sport. Just focus on yourself, right? Sport, it gets competitive, right? You need to be able to do better than other people. That's part of the game. But with most other people, because most of the population's not an not what they would consider themselves a competitive athlete. This is going to be good. We always tell people doing something is better than nothing, but do something that you can do for a long time. And that's going to produce better results. Focusing less on weight will often lead to those better adherence strategies. You guys are going to hear me say that quite a bit because I truly believe that. And those who want to lose weight will usually do so by any method possible, right? Even extreme ones. They want to lose weight. They usually do so temporarily, right? You've heard of those people who go on these like crazy diets and lose a bunch of weight really, really quick. But the biggest problem is never addressed. And the lifestyle factors that built up that weight in the first place is never actually dealt with. So by addressing those lifestyle factors first, we build up a healthier human from the ground up. So quick summary of just what I just said here, guys, because I, I did write that out because I'm very passionate about this. So I'm like reading off a script just a little bit. But to summarize, weight loss is usually the number one question I get this time of year. Calories in versus calories out only works for a select portion of the population. No, I don't have the specific statistics on that with me because you can, it just depends on who's doing the study. You can get a lot of different numbers. Um, but weight loss is usually a multifactorial problem and using benchmark workouts, we can focus on the lifestyle that caused that weight loss rather than focusing on weight loss as the primary, um, objective. So hopefully that makes sense, guys. Um, that's a big one. It's really, really big. So moving on, this is going to be our benchmark tracker. Now I'm going to mute my, or I'm going to turn off my video really quick. So that way you guys can see this. So if you guys are watching this currently, you have my permission to take a screenshot. And if you're a patron patron, this is going to be on my Patreon page as well. And this will have a lot more detail into it. So that way you can kind of, this just has a couple of examples, but this is our benchmark tracker. It's got your ex exercises down the Y axis. So you've got your one mile run or walk. It can be both your 2000 meter row, your bench press and your 40 yard dash, right? These are just a couple of different examples um, of endurance, strength and power. Just a few on there. And then on that X axis, you're going to see columns one, two, three, and four. These are different attempts. So you can write down how well you did on attempt number one, say your mile, you did 10 minutes, right? Just 10 minutes, nice and flat. And then your second time doing this, make sure to date these as well. That's a good one. So that way you know how much time has passed in attempt number two, you did nine minutes and 45 seconds. That's awesome. Make sure you are writing that down and celebrate a little bit. You knocked 15 seconds off your mile time. Take a good note of that. Say the third time you did this, maybe your ankle was feeling a little bit uh, a little bit sore for maybe some exercise you'd done earlier that week. And you actually got a 10 minute and 15 seconds. So you're actually going a little bit worse than when you originally started. Make a note of that. That's what that ad last additional column is for. So you can say, Hey, in attempt number three, 
my calf was feeling a little bit sore, my ankle, whatever it might have been, and that resulted in a slightly lower mile time. Because I can guarantee if you just write down your time and your date and you don't take notes, you're not going to know what happens several months from now when you try to do this again. You're like, oh man, why did that third why did that third attempt really stink, right? You want to have notes for those. Um, knowledge is power. Please use that here, guys. So again, if you guys are a patron or a member of my Patreon page, you guys are going to have this up there and we'll have a lot more detail in there for you as well. So thank you guys so much for that support. Let's get my face back up in this. My audio only listeners, we do have this up on YouTube and a lot of the times because I want these up for people to use, uh, I'll usually just turn my camera off and on so that way you guys can get the whole picture, right? Next thing, guys, we're going to get into our viewer questions. We actually got a viewer question from Mike Maybelline over on Twitter, sent me this via DMs. You guys are allowed to DM me your questions. Um, if you're an idiot, I'll just block you. That's fine. But if you have good, thoughtful questions, I will accept those every day of the week. I love getting those questions and that way we can make sure you guys are getting the best service possible. So from Mike says, what apps do you suggest to track activities and food? Other question, how can you track food in a productive and helpful way instead of a doom and depressing way? So thank you so much, Mike, for the questions. Really, really appreciate those. Let's let's start from the top and work our way bottom. What apps do you suggest to, crack, to track activities and food? There are several. Um, I would say MyFitnessPal is a big one. That is kind of a general fitness app. You can put food into there. Um, Lose It is an app that I use for different like macro tracking to make sure I'm eating enough protein. And it's really nice because you can build different recipes on the app and you can, um, oh gosh, what else can you do? You can do barcode scanning as well. So if I just like, I don't want to like search for something, I just pull up the barcode scanner, get it, and it'll bring up that serving size and that's good to go. Now, here's a caveat with this. Tracking your food with just an app and not a scale is going to be more important. It is, is not going to be effective. So if you don't have an actual scale to weigh out your food, or if you're not using accurate volume measurements, you're not going to get accurate results, right? A lot of times with my clients, especially if they are really, really concerned about weight loss, I will usually give them some homework and I'll tell them, Hey, the first two weeks of training, I want you to track every bit of food you eat just two weeks, right? That's, that's pretty achievable. This is not something I expect people to do all the time because that way we get a good idea of where their energy balance is currently and where it's not. And really this is just kind of an eye-opening exercise. It's kind of a self-reflection exercise. It's not to shame them for eating too much or too little, but it's just to give them the idea of how much food they're putting into their body because most people don't know. Most people think they're like, yeah, I eat 2000 calories a day. You have no way of knowing that without actually measuring accurately with a scale and tracking it in an app or even pen and paper. Totally fine. So make sure you guys are doing that. That can be really helpful. Now, the follow up to this is how can you track your food in a productive way instead of a doom and depressing way, right? Because most people overeat or they eat more than they think they do. Um, I'm guilty of this as well. I have uh, a large stomach and eyes to boot and I'm very, very active. And so I do consume a decent amount of food. So calorie tracking, one reason this is usually not an effective method of sustained weight loss for a lot of people. Again, we mentioned earlier, like calories in versus calories out is an effective strategy for some, but not most. The reason this is tough is because it doesn't just like anything we do. It doesn't address the underlying problems with the way you eat or, um, 
you know, your relationship with food, things like that. I know there's different apps. I know Noom is a big one right now where it like kind of goes into the psychology of eating, things like that. I have not tried that, so I can't make a recommendation on it. But personally, I would say like, see an exercise adherence counselor, um, see a food counselor, you know, things like that. You can actually go to therapy for these things and say, hey doc, I don't know what my relationship with food is. I need somebody to help me flesh that out. Let's get some sessions in and let's do that because somebody looking in from the outside is going to have a really, really good perspective for that. Um, that's not always the most, not, not everyone can just like go into therapy at a moment's notice. So I understand that. So in a practical way is I use the two week method to kind of, <laughs> to avoid that kind of like doom and depressing of, oh my gosh, I'm eating so much. Now I have to eat so little is let's, we can use weight trackers specifically as a way to give you a barometer for where you're at for just a short period of time. That's why I usually use two weeks. And then really, it, then it comes down to the individual. This is why having a coach is really helpful. And so when I'm using this with my clients, I usually ask them like, let's do a lot of follow-up questions. Even when I was chatting with Mike about this question, there was a lot of follow-up questions like, Hey, you know, how do you eat? What, what do your meals look like? How does this affect your behavior throughout the day? Does this cause you to binge later in the day? Do you end up skipping lots of meals? You know, things like that. And that way we can kind of unlock some of those underlying kind of issues and factors. And so that way we can just get after some of those other things that are going on. So this is a really, really good question. Thank you so much, Mike. If you guys have questions you'd like to be featured on the show, please let me know. Again, you guys can find me on Twitter at family of the dog. I do a lot of my content um, kind of mixed with health and gaming and nerddom because I am a nerd who also likes to be healthy and I want to make sure that you guys are as well. I don't, I'm not going to force you to be nerds, but I do want everyone to be healthy, right? So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, we have lots of listeners across the United States. I did not get into, excuse me, I did not get into a chance to actually see if we have any updates on that. So I do apologize about that and international listeners as well. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for watching. Big thanks and appreciation for everyone who listens and our patrons right now, Andrew A. and Jenna Hawkins for supporting the podcast directly. You guys are the MVPs. Thank you guys so much for supporting. Hopefully we get some more patron patrons as well. And make sure that you guys have a fantastic rest of your day. Get some hydration in you. Make sure to move around. Enjoy some sunshine. That right now, you guys can probably see if you guys are watching YouTube. The sun is really coming through that window right now. I might even need to get, like the blinds are up and there's, I'm still getting blinded over here, but that's good. We like our little bit of vitamin D over here in Western Washington. So we got to get it while we can. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next time, stay healthy, everybody. Bye for now.